So you may have heard me talking about the State of Handmade survey that I'm running with the girls over at the Business and Making podcast. And uh, submissions for that close just in a couple of days' time, so February 14th, Valentine's Day. If you haven't already had had your say, please head on over to thestateofhandmade.com and you can be part of this uh, undertaking to do the biggest you know, survey of the handmade community ever. We're hoping we can get enough people in there to make this a really, really robust uh, survey, gathering data from people throughout the handmade community about your experience. And we're going to be sharing the data with everybody once we've analyzed it. So please do uh, share it and go take the survey yourself so you can be part of the story. And uh, that is as I said, it's just a couple of days left. So don't hesitate. Even pause this and go do it now. It'll only take you a few minutes. Uh, it is anonymous. So you know your privacy will definitely be respected there. So thestateofhandmade.com is where you want to go. And today's episode, I'm actually discussing another survey, which is a survey of small business owners or those who would like to be small business owners. And uh, my guest today is Matt Baker, who works for FreshBooks, actually, the accounting software company. And they've been running this survey for a couple of years. And I found the information so fascinating that I wanted to share it with you because whether you are already running your own small business or whether you're listening to this thinking that you would like to, there are some real big stumbling blocks that people might have to, you know, making the leap to actually starting a business. And in this episode, we're going to talk about those stumbling blocks and how you might be able to deal with them so you can get over them and actually make that business dream come true. So this is episode 218 of the Create and Thrive podcast. Let's get into it. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name is Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Hey, y'all, I'm here with Matt Baker from FreshBooks, and we have a really interesting discussion to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about de-risking the move to self-employment. In other words, how can we make it a little less scary to make that leap into working for ourselves? Matt, welcome to the show. Jess, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Before we get started, can you, uh, you're, you're probably an unusual guest for this show. I usually uh, have uh, makers and, and people like that, but uh, you guys got in touch and you have this fantastic survey that we're going to dive into. And uh, I really wanted to have you on the show to talk about that. But can you give us a little bit of background into uh, what your career path has been to this point? Sure, I'd certainly be happy to. And, you know, and, and I think I probably would be a little bit different. I have uh, what, you know, what we would call a traditional job in a lot of ways, um, as opposed to self-employment. Uh, I've certainly done some some uh, some dabbling on the side, and I teach some uh, like a course at the local university and some things like that. But for the most part, I have a, a you know a, a job. It just happens to be that we serve this market as our primary focus, and so I think that's where it aligns. And my history has been um, in the in the software and technology space, and then also in the consulting world. And uh, I've tried to bring those two things together in a role um, at a company like FreshBooks, where I can do um, a lot of work to help. Uh, small businesses and particularly with software that hopefully makes their lives easier because you know what I've what I'm continually inspired by is just the fact that small business owners have to wear all the hats oh yeah (laughs) so you know that's no easy feat and yet despite all that uh, you know they do it right and and, and so just Mm -hmm. understanding the 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 logic and the psychology of that and also um, 
you know, the, the, the rationale. Anyway, I find that all very, very fascinating. It is. And, um, you know, accounting, <laughs> it's one of those things that a lot of people in this industry kind of fear and loathe because, uh, you know, the maths side of things, the, the sort of boring side of business, but it's so damn important. And I try to push that, you know, to my students all the time, like, don't ignore it. You got to keep an eye on your books. You got to keep an eye on your numbers, you, gotta, you know, and finding something like um, fresh books or, you know, zero or whatever you want to use. Um, you got to find something that helps you with that because it makes life a lot easier when you are the one wearing all the hats. Yeah, and if I could just react to a little bit of that um, that feeling of staying away from accounting or staying away from finance, um, it is overwhelming, or at least it's a little bit off putting sometimes. I think some of that some of that is just historically with the, the terminology that we use, and so mm. I try to sometimes even just uh, try to clarify what some things mean. Like one of the you know, one of the buzzwords out there would be this idea of a budget. You know, mm-hmm. nobody wants to spend time with a budget. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> be, making one, being accountable to one, like all of that just sounds like, oh man, that's a lot of accounting. But at the end of the day, you know, something as simple as that, you know, I like to think of it as mostly just um, having yourself a budget is really just setting some targets before reality happens. And that way you mm. compare yourself to something other than just, um, you know, historicals. Uh, so yeah. anyway, like th- I think there are ways to, um, try to break through and, and a lot of that's what we try to do is just either automate it for people or just make it mm. you know much more simple or much more time um, time appropriate for people that are doing all this other stuff. Absolutely. Okay, so let's dive into this survey a little bit. I want to talk about a few of the numbers before we kind of go into the how to solve these problems. Um, I found it really interesting. Now, I just want to clarify this is a survey of American uh, American survey. So it's, I assume, you know, It might be a little bit different in Australia or wherever else, but I'm guessing it's probably pretty similar. Um, What do you find year to year is interesting to you about doing this survey? Well, it's certainly our our third year, and I think this year we did 4,000 small business owners or self-employed professionals, depending on the term term that you use. And uh, sometimes I think what's, you know, what's interesting is the things that don't change. And then it's also interesting to see the trends and the things that are changing. An example of something that I thought was, uh, that continues to sort of interest me that doesn't change is this idea of uh, once you make it into self-employment, once you have your own business, do you have any interest in going back or getting, you know, a regular job or a traditional job? And Mm -hmm. if for the third year in a row, it's well over 90% that say I have no interest, no interest in going back whatsoever. Uh, it's, and it's pretty, you know, it's pretty uh, consistent. I think that one, you know, as an example, is pretty uh, inspir- uh, inspirational or, or just uplifting for me because it feels like if you're helping people get to that outcome, then, then you're on the right path. And, you know, uh, and so, it's so, so if you can kind of break through and you can make it and you can find a way to have a sustainable business, then, um, then it, it really does seem like it's worthwhile. So that's one that always jumps out to me. And I'm, you know, just proud to to, to know that all the effort we do in helping people become successful, like they, they wouldn't want it any other way, so to speak. So, um, you know, so that one's certainly, uh, certainly interesting. I think some of the other ones that you may, um, you, you may sort of expect, but, you know, we're seeing a little bit of, uh, you know, younger, um, you know, just as the generations are, are turning over, you know, the average mm-hmm. business owner is a little bit younger. Cause I think a lot of times when you read press, it tends to be about the young entrepreneur, but the reality is, you know, it's, there's lots of people in their 40s and 50s and 60s that are uh, small business owners and self-employed. And that's just the thing that, you know, is, is not quite, is obvious. But like I said, just the, the average age is, is coming down a little bit. That's another trend that's, um, you know, that's, that, that's super interesting. Um, and then the last one I'll say is, 
um, we, we tend to try to get inside people's um, heads a little bit. What, what's the, what are some of the top skills that you think are required for success? You know, whether you're trying to make the leap, you're, you've made the leap, but you're trying to grow your business, or maybe you've already scaled. And so, you know, it's a combination of all the different groups. But this year, uh, what came to the, the top of the list was uh, communication skills. And, you know, mm. you, you wouldn't necessarily be surprised. I mean, that would be true of a lot of things. But in the past, you know, people have talked more about uh, time management or um, just other categories of things that uh, are, are most important for success. So it's just interesting to see some of those skill sets bubbling up. But by and large, um, you know, time management, communication, problem solving, those are things that uh, are still very, very uh, top of mind for first managers. Yeah. And those are all things you can learn as well, which is fantastic. You know, I think there are people who are naturally better at, at those skills just for whatever reason, but they're things you can practice and get better at. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, a lot of it is, is, is uh, you know, the growth mindset, which is kind of a term that's out in the, mm. in, the, in the world these days. But this ability that you can learn anything is really, you know, part of the, the mentality. I think a lot of business owners have to, you know, have to embrace if you like, I, you know, kind of, it's a theme that'll probably come up throughout this conversation a bunch mm. of times. But if you're going to wear every hat, and or, you know, hire somebody to do some work for you, you know, you kind of, you're, you're just constantly learning. And, and that's part of, I think, the journey and what makes it rewarding to, to have your own business, because it's really, you know, something that you can you know take credit for at the end of the day yeah it really is and i loved your set before about the 90 something percent of people wouldn't go back to having a traditional job i count myself in that um yeah. i've been self-employed for 10 years now and yeah i wouldn't have it any other way so that's that's a really interesting point you know once people have made that transition even though it might be scary to do uh most people don't want to go back uh i think that has let's talk about the why why people might want to make that transition from having a traditional job to having a business of their own. There were some really interesting stats um, there about why people are making that shift. Uh, The first one that came to mind for me, the 65% people said freedom to choose when to work and 56% of people said freedom to choose how hard to work. Uh, I found that really interesting. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I just, uh, you know, wholeheartedly agree that, um, there's a lot of interesting information in, in the why uh, that, you're, that you're talking about. And I think, you know, we start with part of our survey is just asking people, you know, particularly if they're not already self-employed, but if, they, if they're not, hey, do you want to be self-employed? Mm. That number seems to be growing, which is interesting. You know, over, t- you know, at least in the U.S., it's tens of millions of people that uh, have a regular job today, but they would rather be self-employed. So then you can start to say, okay, if it's that big... Firstly, are you gonna, are you really going to do it or not? And you know, we've been trying to track that, and we've been trying to track intent as well. And it turns out that you know fewer actually do it than they think than than express interest in doing so. Mm. But but you know, we're, but you know, um, these things take you know years and and, and uh, lots of uh, change to to actually you know shift the economy, so to speak. But mm. but firstly, it's like you know, do you want to do it? And it seems like that's a big number. Um, and so then we explore a little bit of why. Um, one of the things when we look at why that, you know, you might, you might think out of the gate is, oh, you know, I want to earn more. Uh, and frankly, that's just not top of mind. It's definitely always on the list somewhere around how much you earn. But as you mentioned, um, one of the biggest ones that we see is the freedom, um, you know, or you might just call it control over your career broadly as an umbrella. Mm. And then underneath this bucket of control is sort of things like freedom to choose when to work, freedom to choose how hard you work. Mm-hmm. Um, the autonomy to manage your own career development, you know, to focus on the things that you want to do. Uh, something as simple as choosing uh, where you work or which projects you work on. And so I think what's interesting is once you, once you take on the, 
the hat, so to speak, or the mindset of I'm the owner, then all of a sudden you feel in control. And sometimes, mm. you know, I think sometimes people have more control over their regular jobs than they realize. Um, it's just a mindset, you know, and once you consider yourself the owner, then it's like, okay, well, you know, I can fire this client if I don't want to work with that client anymore. Um, or I can, you know, work from the coffee shop or work from home or work from this co-working space. Um, and I can decide too. One week I want to go, you know, light and, or, or, or heavy. And um, it just, you know, once you feel like you're in the driver's seat, I think there's a, you know, that there's a lot of benefit that people have. And I think that's, uh, you know, by and large, that's the, you know, the, the biggest reason we see for the, the why do you want to, uh, you know, do that? And it's really, I want to take back control over, you know, my life in a lot of ways. Mm. And, and as you can imagine, for a lot of small business owners, life, you know, personal and work is all intertwined. So yeah. the more control you have, you know, over your career, the more control you have over your life. And so, you know, w- once I start to unpeel it that way, um, then I can understand, you know, the psychology makes a lot more sense and why it's so fulfilling and rewarding to, to take back control of all these things that sometimes you don't feel like you have when you're, uh, you know, working for someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other stats that jumped out at me was 63% of people say money is less important than quality of life. And I think that's a huge driver for everybody listening to this podcast is that idea that, yeah, money is great and you need to have a certain amount, but, you know, you you only need a certain amount (laughs) to be happy and it's more important to actually be living a life you enjoy rather than schlepping off to a job you hate every day just to make sure you get a paycheck. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't even really necessarily mean that those aren't, um, you know, people that are aspiring to grow. We found that, you know, something around a third are sort of saying to themselves, hey, I just want to maintain what I'm doing already as my small business, but that means two-thirds, the flip side of it, you know, trying to grow revenue or grow the size of the business one way or another. And you can Mm -hmm. do that even while, uh, you know, admitting to yourself that it's not all about the money, right? It's about, you know, what's interesting, I guess, too, is as you start to build a business, then all of a sudden there's a culture and there's a, there's a, you know, your business takes on a life of its own. And so shaping that is also sometimes more important than money. You want your employees to have a good experience and your customers to have a good experience. So it's mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, essentially just all based on uh, what's going to maximize, you know, profit. And, and you got a lot more control over that when you're a small business owner. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to learn how to sell more online? I have a free video workshop just for you. It's called the 10 essential keys to successfully sell handmade products online. And it'll take you through the absolute key factors that will help you to unlock the door of successful online selling to get access to it right now for free. Head on over to createandthrive.com forward slash 10. That's createandthrive.com forward slash one zero. Okay, so, you know, I think pretty much everybody listening has either a small business of their own or aspires to have a small business, but there are lots of barriers to making that shift to being self-employed. Um, what are some of the top uh, sort of, I guess, uh, looking at the survey, you guys kind of separate them into hard barriers and soft barriers, which is really interesting. Um, the three hard barriers that you have are uh, you don't have cash to invest or you need to pay down debt, so you, you're in debt. Uh, you need to complete training or you don't want to give up health benefits. This last one about the health benefits is very interesting to me as Australian because that is not an issue here. Um, Because in the US, your benefits are often tied to your job, right? Yeah, absolutely. And in in fact, our our company, we're we're headquartered in Canada and it's not an issue there either. So this one Mm. is probably, that one is probably unique to to the United States. Um, 
but uh, just to go back to this idea of you're mentioning around the why again if we just kind of start from the top it's like you know just understanding how many people really want to work for themselves and it seems like it's a massive number and then it's mm. the understanding and then so it's then so then you get into the well, why haven't you or what's going to be the hardest thing about doing it and that's where we kind of get into these barriers because mm. you know, there, there is some friction between so many people want to do it but then a fewer you know, uh, only a portion of them actually actually do. And as you mentioned, the hard stuff are things that we felt like um, you could, you know, it felt more tangible, like um, you felt like you didn't have enough cash to, um, to get started. And sometimes it's like you need cash to invest in your business, but sometimes it's also like you just need to um, save up a certain amount of cash that you can then live on while you get your yes. business going. So there is, you know, and in, in, in a lot of the customers that we serve aren't actually, you know, high startup capital businesses. There are a lot mm. of uh, firms or an agency or um, some kind of consultancy is a good example where uh, in a lot of those service-based businesses, there's not a lot of upfront costs just to get the business started. But there is this idea that, hey, I still got to, you know, pay my bills and, um, <laughs> and, 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 and live while I get up and running with, with various, um, you know, clients and Mm. and projects and everything else. So certainly that's a hard one. Uh, the other one that, that we bucketed, in, and, and by the way, one in four roughly or so are saying, hey, you know, I, I, I need more money in order to make the switch. Um, yeah. And then um, maybe one in five are saying, I need, I need a little bit more training. Uh, and again, we thought it was a hard barrier, a hard barrier, not something that you couldn't solve, but a physical, like a tangible thing that's like, okay, yeah. I have a skill set. Maybe I want to move into a different career as opposed to continue doing exactly what I've been doing, but now do it on my own. Uh, mm. So, you know, especially with, you know, more and more uh, internet-based jobs or, or uh, you know, you want to be a developer, a designer or something like that, you know, it's going to require some training, at least on the software that's being used. And then similarly, that one in five said, you know, I'm just afraid to give up my health, health benefits. And you're right, it's tied to an employer. And once you get into a program, you know, there's a little bit of um, this, the, the employer subsidizing some of it sometimes. And so, right. you know, anyway, it's just, it, it is kind of a, it's an unfortunate thing, but it's, it is kind of a hassle. And once you, um, you know, get comfortable with a certain plan, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to change it um, because there's so many, there's so many different plans out there. And uh, mm. anyway, it's just a, all things related to insurance one way or another can, <laughs> can feel com complex and you don't know if you're covered yeah. or not. And anyway, it's just, it's stressful, right? Um, yeah. so, but anyway, we, we still bucket it as a hard barrier because we felt like, um, you know, is the thing or not, you know, you either have insurance plan or you don't, or you have a good alternative or you don't. Um, and, and that's, there is getting more, uh, at least in the U S there is getting more uh, visibility into those, those plans, but it's good to know mm -hmm. it's not, it's not the same uh, barrier world worldwide. And then um, the other buckets of soft barriers. And, and frankly, those are a little bit more interesting, I think, because they're very mm -hmm. psych psychological. Yeah. And a, the biggest one, uh, which would be sort of one out of three people or so are just worried about inconsistent income. And this is one that I've spent a lot of time trying to just talk to people about and understand more. And the term that I've used most often is that once you work for yourself, your income is lumpy. Um, mm. And, you know, that is almost true of, of any industry and particularly industries in which there's some seasonality involved. Uh, whereas most of what modern employment seems to have done is smooth things out for people and take care of things that people wouldn't otherwise be able to handle on their own. Um, as efficiently. And so, you know, you get standard paycheck every two weeks or once a month or, you know, however your system works. 
-hmm. but you get this standard paycheck that's pretty much always the same size. The government makes sure that they take, you know, your income taxes and your other deductions out before you even get the money so that you don't spend it. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, oh, yeah. your employer is overseeing this and that. And as soon as you become a small business owner, I mean, that's all out the door entirely, which, yeah. is, which is just, it's almost, you know, it's like psychologically, it's just, it's just fascinating. So, so I, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not surprised that this worry about inconsistent income is, is, uh, is out there. It's just, it just makes a lot more sense when you color it with, all the things that, you know, once you work for yourself, you got to deal with. So yeah, you got to, you got to start saving for taxes immediately. You got to have uh, other ways to think about the ups and downs of, of, of the business throughout the year. So, so certainly that, anyway, that jumps up as a, as the biggest one. And then um, there were some others that I think that we've, we've raised one way or another. One was about just how much am I going to earn? So a little bit of, Hey, you know, it's more of my passion that I'd want to do this thing versus mm. my regular job. But if I go and chase my passion, you know, am I really going to, earn enough and so you know it's a real concern but a little bit more um uh, psychological to get through and uh, the other one's a uh, lacking a business plan i almost you know we almost debated that one whether that's a hard thing but oftentimes when it's once i dug in most folks felt like they had one they just weren't sure if it was complete enough and so, yep. <laughs> so it became it started to feel more like a confidence thing yeah and so anyhow that's how you know like sort of one in four saying yeah, i'm not quite sure i have the right business and frankly if you look at the numbers, I mean, lots of businesses fail every year. There's no, I mean, there's no way to deny yeah. that. So sometimes it's because, you know, there wasn't enough up front, but sometimes maybe it's just not the right business for that market or for this time, or, you know, it, they're just not as novel of, as, of an idea as someone thought. So there's certainly, um, you know, things that, that are, there are challenges there. And then there's another group that's, you know, really wants the autonomy and the control of work themselves, but not quite sure what they want to do, or maybe they're just not quite sure that they want to, quit yet you know so there, there, mm -hmm. there is despite all the things that employers may be doing there is still some loyalty out there um and i'm uh, mostly being facetious there i know there's uh, lots of great employers but it's just more of a, a joke that um yeah that there's that, that that um you know some folks are just they're just not ready to quit they feel like you know their time's not done at their current job and so they're feeling some level of loyalty that's holding them there for a little bit but but um yeah any, anyhow those tend to be the, the the barriers that we see come up in our in our research yeah, I think they're all very familiar to everybody listening. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how, what are some of the strategies people can use to kind of reduce those barriers to, to making that shift? I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me that I always talk about is you don't, it has, doesn't have to be either or. You don't have to be full-time full self-employed or full-time you know, employed by someone else. Make a transition if you can. Maybe move down to being part-time employed, so you can keep some of those perks while having the extra time to work on your business as well. Yeah, you know what? I love I love that, and I think it's just a matter of finding the right way to communicate it to folks that that it resonates. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a popular term online now called a side hustle. That's kind of a similar idea of you start something up on the side and you see if you can actually, uh, you know, serve a client or make some money or just see if it, if it sticks as opposed to, you know, quit your job and buy a one way ticket, so to speak. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like that's the, that's where the scariness comes in a little bit. So I think that the, you know, what you mentioned around, you don't have to go all in that that's uh, absolutely a way to, to mitigate, um, to mitigate the, the, the risk there. And I think sometimes it's just like, just start with try to get one client and see uh, how that goes. I mean, the only thing I would say on top of uh, that as a strategy is just be careful of straddling, you know, two worlds for too long. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you, you want to, you want it to be a temporary thing. I mean, nobody, 
nobody's getting into self-employment thinking to themselves, oh, I'd love, I'd love to have two jobs. You know, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> that's probably not the mindset. And so if you just have a little bit of a plan of, okay, I'm going to test this thing for three months or six months or something, and then I'm going to know if it's going to work or I'm going to be on the right path. Um, I mean, you can adjust your path, as, your, your plan as you go. But anyway, my, my point is just you don't want to be slaving away in the night hours forever um, as a separate no. thing. You just want to have a plan of whether you can ever make the switch and what you can do in the short term is test it as a way to mitigate. So that, that's certainly um, a, critical, a, critical, a critical one is de-risking, uh, de-risking the move. Um, the other one, you know, I think it would probably be, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it would probably be a little too obvious to just talk about saving the capital. I think that one's probably straightforward. Maybe another one to, to, to throw in there that's interesting is um, cash flow as a concept. Um, mm. A lot of businesses, when you make the switch, now whether you're worried about making less or just worried about being inconsistent, there are ways to sort of solve that cash flow um, through creative um through creative means. And, and so an example would be, um, you know, you could get started by charging upfront deposits. It's just one way of pulling some of the money in or breaking projects down into milestones. I just think, you know, I've worked in a lot of world with like long-term projects and milestones, and it would be awfully scary to take on a project that you're not going to get paid for six months. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, <laughs> and you're, and you're, right. And your, and your client should know that too, but just yeah. conceptually to break it down into milestones and payments and installments, um, move people to some kind of monthly billing. I mean, obviously the whole world's, uh, you know, some, everyone's got an experience with paying for a monthly service. Um, yes. You know, at least in the U S everybody has uh, you know, an Amazon prime or a Netflix subscription and uh, Amazon prime is this annual thing that you pay and Netflix is this monthly thing you pay. Um, mm -hmm. So everyone has experience paying things and like, you know, recurring. And so, you know, one, one way of just, um, getting your handle around the cash flow is to move people to some kind of recurring model, which tends to feel like you're getting, you know, more consistent income. Um, you know, that's, a, that's another example of de-risking the move. The other one um, I'll throw out there that's, uh, that's hard, but it's worth thinking about is just the price itself. Um, mm. There's a tendency to get started to really undervalue the work you're going to do um, because you, you know, you don't know how hard it's going to be to land that first client. Um, you don't know how good you're going to be at doing the work. And so those things, you know, mentally lead you towards a really low price. Um, so another thing to kind of de-risk is to think about, you know, the proper price for your service in the market. And you can definitely look to market pricing. That can be helpful. And you can also do some, uh, some basic math to just say, okay, well, if I were to charge this price and I have one client, you know, if I want to build a business, how many clients do I think I can have at any given time in the future? You know, maybe I could serve 10 clients. Therefore, I take that number and I multiply it by 10. Like, is that even enough money to live on? Um, yes. You know, and you can start to do some of that, that planning that oftentimes, um, you know, it's almost like you, you could do it in a spreadsheet, sure, but it's just, you know, thinking a year out. And that's this idea of, you know, I've mentioned at the beginning this, you know, that you don't want to necessarily uh, get stuck in, you know, using some budget software or something like that, but just thinking through how your business scales is, is uh, you know, is incredibly important. Yeah, I want to, I'll just uh, do a little translation on that for product-based business because uh, most of my customers, uh, most of my customers, well, yes, in my service-based business, most of my customers have product-based businesses, but also most listeners to this podcast do as well. And the exact same thing applies. Like one of the exercises I get people to do is, okay, so you're selling this thing for $20. How long does it take you to make it? You know, how much materials goes into it? If you sold, you know, a hundred of those 
How long would it take you? And would that be enough money to live on? The, the best one to go is, okay, what's, what's the amount of money you want to earn maybe per year or per month if we want to break it down? And they go, okay, well, how many of these items would you have to sell in order to make that amount of money? And that often wakes people up to like, wow, I'm seriously underpricing myself because I'd have to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week in order to make that amount of products, to make that amount of money. Um, people haven't necessarily kind of done that thinking long term and, and scaled up the prices that they're charging for things uh, in a way that makes it feasible to actually have a profitable business. Yeah, I, I could I, again couldn't couldn't agree more. I think in a lot of ways, yeah, uh, for, even for for product based businesses, it you know it's helpful to then also think about okay, if I needed that many sales, so you're not you're not living in a world of uh, if I think about a consumer product, for instance, you're not living in a world of oh, I'm serving ten clients a month or something like that. It's like I need to sell thousands of products. Um, in either case, you know, part of the 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 thought process too is to think about well who who is your market who are you really selling to whatever service or product you have and then how many people are like that out there and if you start to do some of the uh, thinking that way you know does it break down or do you find that you know hey I need to get into other geographies or I need to you know think about other other verticals and I think you know it's just kind of asking yourself the why question a bunch of times or the how and, mm. and just you know continuing to peel at it I think a lot of that will de-risk. Um, your ability to understand where the business is going, because ultimately, one of the one of the things that you want to solve for in this idea of de-risking is just not to have any major surprises. Um, sometimes a surprise <laughs> can be good. If you, you know, it can be good if you did way better than you ever thought. But yeah. really, really, the thing that you know, um, you know, would break you know break my heart, so to speak, is if um, it was just a matter of had haven't hadn't thought through it enough, and then you know, this thing happens that really maybe was foreseeable with a little bit more. Uh, planning about you know knowing the market or a potential client or uh, the scale of the business. So so anyway, absolutely worth doing a little bit of that exercise to understand margins. And again, margins are like you know a, a popular business speak, um, but really, like you said, it's just understanding the costs and what you're selling for, and making sure that the space in between is enough for you to build your business. Yeah, and another big one that a lot of makers forget about is overheads. I mean, we don't have huge overheads, especially if you're working from home, but there are quite a lot of them that people might not consider. Um, you know, even things like your your electricity, your rent, your mortgage, your, you know, all of those things can be tied into a business once you have one. Obviously, tax laws are going to be different in different places, but having, having an awareness of, you know, what can you claim on your tax? Um, what are the other costs of your business? Like, hey, maybe you have to pay for mailing list software every month or, you know, maybe you have to pay for cloud storage every month and you might not have thought about those things and the fact that you have to cover those expenses as well as just materials and time. Yeah, I again agree a thousand percent and I think, you know, what, what, it just, what it makes me think of just hearing you talk through that is that somebody listening right now could be feeling a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> mm. so it's almost like I can draw out the whole list of all these things but then maybe, you know, one thing to throw on there too is a de-risk is just to um, make self-care a priority. Uh, you're, you're walking into this world in which you don't have as much structure around you as you would in a traditional job. Um, and what I mean by that is employers, you know, by and large, they provide various kinds of services, whether it's, you know, the healthcare that we talked about before, or just, you know, your coworkers around to help you, you know, um, uh, you know, work through things. Um, you have, a, you have a manager, which, you know, by and large is meant to help you uh, with your career and reduce uh, you know, barriers to your success and such. And so anyway, you walk into this world now and you're on your, uh, you're on your own, so to speak, and I think uh, mm -hmm. that self-care is just really important. There's a lot of things we've been talking about that you can that you can do, but um, 
a lot of people are making the switch to be healthier. And so what you don't mm-hmm. want to do is, you know, turn yourself into a workaholic or turn yourself into <laughs> some, some bad habits if really what you want is more control and therefore, you know, better work-life balance and some of those things. So just making that a priority, um, you know, and what we found, by the way, in our research was that the vast majority, you know, expected to be healthier, but a smaller percentage than, than that actually were by their account, mm. which means it's still more than half reported being, um, you know, healthier as, you know, feeling healthier as self-employed versus, you know, the prior job. Um, mm-hmm. but, so anyway, I, I want to make that point clear. It's still, by and large, it looks like the outcome is good, but the expectations were even higher than that. So that means that there's, you know, there's a, there's a group there that is just not living up to as much of, of that um, benefit as, as they were anticipating. And I think that can be tough. Um, and so that self-care could just be things like, um, you know, how to make sure that you're, you know, taking the time to um, uh, stay mentally, you know, healthy. And that could be, you know, taking breaks or just, um, you know, because you're sort of living with the delivery of the business in the short term, but you also got to make sure you're spending some time on the long term and not losing out on relationships with, with uh, you know, other entrepreneurs in the area or family even. So again, it, it's a, it's a big topic, but I just uh, will put that out there. Certainly uh, mm. an important part of mitigating the risk because it feels like it's a non-financial thing, but, but it's certainly, um, you know, the, the healthier you feel and you are, you know, the, the better shot you're going to give your business. Oh yeah. I learned that one the hard way. I had a burnout within my first few years because I was just pushing too hard and uh, it happens to a lot of people. I think partially because the first few years are the hardest. I want to say to people, it does get easier uh, because those first few years are when you're not only running the business and trying to grow it, you're also learning everything about how to run the business. So it is going to be like, you're probably going to be spending more time and it's going to be a little bit more challenging um, and also exhilarating, I think, at that point in time. You know, it's all new and fresh. But uh, it is really important that you do take care of yourself from the beginning because if you fall down, the business falls down. Well, th- that's right. And, and one of the other things, just again, to dovetail on that, we based on the research we did, we asked people about career satisfaction uh, and we asked both people who are self-employed and people who have regular jobs and we spanned it, sort of we tracked it from, you know, roughly their age. And what we saw was that um, career satisfaction of someone with a traditional job is actually higher to begin with than self-employed, but over time it dips slightly. And mm-hmm. so by the end of your career, you're just ready to retire. Um, you know, like, and you've heard those stories too, where it's just like, oh man, I just want to, you know, I want to get get my time done, and I can retire. I got to reach a certain age, or I got to get my pension to a certain level, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so over time, and then it's, no, and it's not even, you know, it's not your business at the end of the day. And so anyway, over time, you get kind of replaced by the next generation and you, you, your satisfaction kind of dips. Whereas uh, somebody who's self-employed early on, it's lower than a traditional job. And I think it's just the stuff you mentioned because you got to learn the hard way sometimes. You, you got to burn mm-hmm. out or, you know, you're not just sort of given that consistent money, you know, on a, a consistent basis, you got to go out and earn it. And so really, um, it's interesting. So at the beginning, though, uh, certainly the, the, the satisfaction of self-employment is lower, but the lines cross. And so as you mm. can expect, by the end of your career, not only does it go up, it goes up quite substantially and, and well ahead of uh, the people with traditional jobs. By the end, um, you know, you've built this business that you're really uh, proud of, and it's rewarding. And, and for all these reasons, you look back and you say, wow, you know, I did that, you know, and, um, I think that's another reason that just anyway, for what it's worth, it just uh, keeps me uh, sort of compelled and interested in this topic and in this industry because uh, the people that are doing it, you know, it's worthwhile to them on the other side. And so, you know, if you can help people make it to that, to that, 
you know, through that journey, um, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, all the better for it. Absolutely. And that's, I love that stat. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap up uh, the show. Thank you so much, Matt, uh, for coming on the show to talk about this. And I hope that we've, you know, left people with a little bit more uh, power in their hands to, to make that transition from having a business, uh, sorry, from being, you know, employed by somebody else to running a business of their own. Uh, there are, you know, a lot of scary parts of it, but pretty much all of that can be mitigated in some way. And if it's something that you really, really want to do, I highly recommend you work towards it because it really is pretty awesome. Thanks for having me, Jess. So I hope that uh, helped you to feel like it's not as scary as it might be. And even though it is a bit scary, there are ways that you can de-risk that move to self-employment. Now, one of the things that's coming up very soon in my world is over in the Thriver Circle, my membership community, I'm actually running a live workshop later this month. And the title of it is Critique Yourself. So I'm actually going to be taking you through a self-critique of your business and your online shop. So if that sounds like something that you think you need to do, you can join us by heading over to thrivercircle.com and signing up right now. Not only will you get access to that live workshop and live workshops every month with me, as well as calls and chats, I also, of course, have the Your Year to Thrive course, which is a year-long course with one lesson every week that basically takes you from the beginning of a business through to everything you need to learn in order to set up a successful handmade business. So you can check that out over at the course itself over at youryeartothrive.com if you want to know more about that. And uh, that's just exclusive to members of the Thriver Circle. So if you join the Thriver Circle, you get access to that course, as well as, you know, like 30-something video workshops, a whole bunch of members-only podcast episodes, and our amazing community full of passionate makers just like you who want to make their handmade business a success. So I hope you you can join me for that. And those of you who are already in the circle, I hope you can join me for that live workshop coming up in just a few weeks' time. You'll find the details in our Facebook group and, of course, on the latest updates page inside the Thriver Circle website. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. I will be back again, as always, next week with another episode of the show. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. And until then, bye for now.